Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? Yo, we have already had so much trade deadline activity that we had to record part one. So we're coming to you. This is Tuesday night. Uh, we're going to record again on Thursday. So don't worry. You're going to hear all of this all at once. So you can hear in the moment how we felt two days before things wrapped up and then what ended up transpiring to finish out this trade deadline. But four major deals already on the books. Did you expect this much activity this early? Usually we see a lot of these kind of right down to the to the wire deals getting done. I did not. Usually there'll be one that happens earlier on in the week, but then most of the action starts happening early Thursday, maybe late Wednesday. Tuesday, this is early, man. I wasn't ready for it. My whole workday got sabotaged. Yeah, I mean, your workday definitely got sabotaged because, unfortunately, yet again, the Kings were majorly in the news and probably not for the way you wanted it to be. So let's start right there. Let's not let's not beat around the bush. Let's not try to, like, you know, do the whole Norm Powell run around conversation thing. Let's just start where we need to start, which is Tyrese Halliburton was traded today. We heard his name in the rumor mill for a long time, mostly by other teams who wanted to get him because he's like a 21 or 22-year-old young stud in his second year playing great. They ended up moving him for DeMontis Sabonis. So here's the full trade. Uh, Sorry to make you relive this, but Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday to Sacramento for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. And to my knowledge, no picks were exchanged in this pick in this trade, which is kind of rare. So I know you got a lot a lot to say, so let's hear it. Where are you at mentally right now? Where am I at, man? Well, I got my glass of scotch poured twice as high than it usually is. Um, so you can see it? In the so I can, <laughs> good one, good one. Now I am, I am livid. This is this is such a terrible, terrible deal. And the Kings, man, they have, they find new ways to disappoint me. If you remember, we did a pod right after the draft where I went out and eviscerated them for drafting Davion Mitchell, which I thought was a, a terrible pick. The jury's still out. And as the season has gone along, everything has gone badly for the Kings. The one bright spot, the one thing Kings fans have been holding on to hope about has been Tyrese Halliburton. And, and this is a guy who, you know, we talked about it, he had that string of 20 and 10 games when Fox was out. He showed that he could kind of command the offense. Um, he's not still not that shot creator you'd want from like a 1A uh, or even like a your second best option kind of guy but very versatile, very good offensively, and seems like a piece that winning teams would... He's kind of a player that would be on a winning team. And I think to sell short on him this quick, and the Kings, in classic Kings fashion, look to be making win-now moves or trying to get this roster in shape to contend sooner than later. And it's ridiculous because... Halliburton has a lot more potential and promise than Sabonis, but this is clearly a win-now move, and this franchise continues to get stuck in the mud making these short-term kinds of transactions. So I'm I'm upset, man. Kings fans are upset. A lot of Kings fans are talking about this is the final straw, but you know, let's not be let's not kid ourselves. Like the final straw had happened several years ago. We continue to dig deeper and deeper into depths that I've never experienced before as a fan of anything, but 
this franchise truly never fails to amaze me. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Um, condolences. Uh, we ironically just talked about the other day how much fun it is for your guy that you're rooting for. Remember that the blows up and it's like your prospect. And yeah, he may not be the best in the league, but he's your dude and you're going to go to bat for him in any reasonable way in debates. And now it's like Fox was that guy for you. And we sort of had to be forced to move on because it didn't look like he was going to ascend to that next year. And Halliburton was the one that you backed. I think, look, I have a lot of thoughts about this trade. The one thing, if I can talk you off the ledge for a second, it's a pretty good thing in any deal if you're getting the best player, um, which I think at current traje- current levels, you would say uh, Sabonis definitely is. He is the best player currently. He also happens to be 25 years old. Uh, he also happens to be on a contract that is insane uh, underpay for his level of talent when you think about the way the salaries have gone up in the league. He's making, I think, $37 million over two years after this one. 25 years old, really productive. Like I mentioned when I wanted him for the Wizards, one of the most productive bigs in the league outside of your Jokic, Embiid, kind of those guys, that tier. The next tier down, he's right up there with anybody. I just... This is the point, though, right? How many win-now moves have the Kings made in their franchise when they were in the 10th seed or the 11th seed? This is the part that has never made any sense. What was the rush to get this deal done now? What was the rush to trade Halliburton before seeing what he actually became? And even if Fox's value was depressed, what was the rush to not allow that to build itself back up such that he became someone who could be traded for a player of Sabonis's caliber. Those are the questions that are top of mind for me. So before we get to Sabonis, right, because I, I do want to have a conversation on what kind of player Sabonis is. And yeah, he's the best player in this deal, but you can't look at a deal so black and white because I want to talk a little bit about Halliburton because Halliburton to me, when you have a guy like Fox, when you have a guy like Cousins, um, early on when they start doing really well in their career, you hope they're going to be the franchise star. You hope they're going to take you to the promised land. But you know the flaws. Fox's flaws were the shooting. And it was always that the hope would be he gets better. He gets to a point where it's respectable, right? And he never really got to that yet. And that caps his ceiling. So same with a guy like Tyreek Evans. Like he comes out guns blazing 25 and 5 rookie season, but very clear what the cap is. I think with Halliburton, he's such a smart player. And he does everything right on the court. Like, I don't, if you watch a Kings game, everything he does on the offensive end is calculated and it's the right decision. And he can, you know, he's got a floater. He's got a good pick and roll game with Rashawn Holmes. He can hit a step back three. He can hit a three off catch and shoot. He's one of the most efficient shooters in the league. His only weakness is shot creation, but that can be remedied by the fact that he's not going to be the best player on any contending team. So his ceiling was really high and he seemed like the kind of player that can fit in any offense. Like no matter what you want to build, he can slot into that offense to that team and be that secondary playmaker or primary playmaker. And that's the potential you're giving up on. And if you're the Kings, right? Like if you're another team, fine, you take the best player in the trade. When you have that type of talent and that type of potential, you can't give up on that so early especially when you have so much trouble hitting on your draft picks. You have so much trouble getting top draft picks. 
And so to me, this trade is all about rushing that, like you said, foregoing that potential because you need something that'll immediately make you better. The funny, or maybe it's a sad thing, depending on the way you look at it, I'm guessing I know which way you're facing, is when he came, when he was asked, I think last month about, this is the quote that had been circulating today, when he was asked about changing the King's culture, and he was like, look, I'm I'm here now, we're not going to fix it in a day, but I promise we're going to turn this thing around. And then, of course, all the tweets were like, Kings were like, nah, man, our culture's set in stone, fuck off, like, we don't want any part of you messing this up. And I was like, that is exactly, I mean... In a way, it's a cold business, but he's probably like thanking his stars, you know, respectfully to go from an organization like Sacramento, which is a annual dumpster fire to in Indiana, who, though they look like they're in in for a couple of years of a rebuild, have traditionally been competitive, traditionally been in the playoff mix and have a coach in Rick Carlisle, who I think is going to get the best out of him. Right. Like. He is by no means a Luca, but in terms of like being able to pass, being able to score, um, you know, bigger sized guard, he can tap into some of what made Luca great and bring that to Tyrese. You pair him with another rookie or young player in Chris Duarte, um, who's actually three years older than, than Tyrese Halliburton. But that is a pretty promising backcourt of the future for for um, Indiana. I think the question I have with for you is, what direction now do the Kings go? Because they've firmly committed themselves to this plan. We'll talk about uh, New Orleans in a second, who also is making similar types of moves, having traded for CJ McCollum today. Um, so what is this? I guess, what does success look like? Like when we record part two on Thursday, we'll already know what the Kings did, if anything else, in terms of trading a Barnes or a Holmes or, you know, Bagley, maybe even Fox, though I don't expect that. What's next? Or what do you want to see next, assuming this is you can't go back and reverse what happened here? Honestly, if they were going to get rid of Halliburton, um, I want them to blow it all up. I'd want Fox to get moved, right? Uh, I'd want Barnes and Bagley to get moved. Um, I, I'd, I'd want there to be more changes happen to this roster. So, for example, if you did Fox, Barnes, Bagley for Simmons, Halliburton, I know that's probably not going to happen. Or not Simmons, Halliburton, Simmons, Harris. I wouldn't mind that. Whatever. Start new Simmons, Harris, Sabonis, builder on a completely new nucleus. And at least it's a fresh start. The problem is we're doing this half reset where we're still committing to Fox and Sabonis. I'm not sure if their plan is to keep Barnes, right? Like I could easily see the Kings being like, okay, now that we've got Sabonis, let's keep Barnes because he'll keep us competitive instead of trading him, right? Um, and then what do you, like you have... Mitchell, Fox, Barnes, uh, Sabonis, and Rashawn Holmes as your core five. That team's not getting past tenth seed or ninth seed. That team and, is and getting with, waxed in almost any setting. And, and I want to ask you your thoughts about Sabonis, right? Because I know because everyone first overreacted so much to oh Halliburton, Kings gave up Halliburton, and then a lot, the counter reaction was oh Sabonis, like no one's talking about this guy. He's a two time All Star. He's twenty five. The reality is Sabonis is a more limited than we think. He's yeah. not a great spacer. His three-point shooting has not been consistent. He is not a good defender. And even his the fact that he's been paired with a defensive wing like Miles Turner, or sorry, defensive big like Miles Turner to compensate for what he doesn't bring on that side, they've sucked. Or, I mean, they peaked at maybe, what, a five seed? 
um, at their absolute best in the East. But yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know what the ceiling is with Sabonis as your guy. I have a soft spot for him. I think uh, part of it is because you know my boy Justin has been on this podcast. He's got some Lithuanian heritage and has always keyed me into that culture. And he's a Pacers fan, so I think doubly always supportive of Sabonis for for everything he brought. But I think more importantly than that, I just really like versatile, skilled big men. Um, fell in love with Jokic really early. You know this before he blew up. And I'm not saying Sabonis is Jokic, but just that concept, I think it's always mesmerized me. But you got to take a look at it and you're like, all right, well, then why do they get their faces pushed in all the time? Um, is it because, you know, he is not necessarily a guy you can win a build a winning defense around? We know this is a very big question. Or is it because Indiana has perpetually got like 50% of their team out with injuries? <laughs> and so they don't really ever have their guys. That, like, if you think about it, like TJ Warren has not played this season. Miles Turner is already out, and I think he's going to be out for either the season or for a substantial period of time. Malcolm Brogdon is always fucking nursing something or other. You know, Jeremy Lamb's been in and out. Like, who has been the guys that are constantly in the lineup to build any type of continuity? It's like Goga, Bitse, and freaking, <laughs> you know, Justin Holiday. So that's the other thing that's confusing. By the way, Justin Holiday is not vaccinated. Uh, no. Is that a California rule, or is that a... No. LA and SF rule. No, it won't affect us. Okay. Cause I was like, apparently he's already said he has no uh desire or interest in being vaccinated. So I was curious. No, nah, no, nah, he'll he'll be able to play. Yeah, that was brought up, but uh okay. he'll be able to play. So that was one thing. Anyway, I, I think you really have to and I'm I'm almost starting to wonder if there is such a thing as a good stats, bad team guy, when we've seen so many reclamation projects in three years, like Trey Young, Devin Booker, Zach Levine. Think about the labels these guys had on their heads for the entirety of their careers. Come on, man. Those guys are stars. Like, absolutely. So they're stars stunts. now, but Zach Levine was not thought of as a star until literally last season. Him making the All-Star team last year was a revelation, and now we're consistently putting him in any type of top 20, 25 list. These are new developments. Um, that's on the one side. The flip side is when I watch Chicago, the guy who reminds me the most of Sabonis is, of course, Nikola Vucevic, who puts up eye-popping numbers when the competition isn't very fierce, but then he goes against Joel Embiid and he gets you know stuffed in a locker, and Embiid goes for 40 points without even blinking, right? And that's the question is, can Sabonis take the punishment from the top centers in the league, or is he just going to wilt? And I think what we've seen so far is the latter which is why this is of slight concern about what kind of defense and what kind of winning culture can you build around him. So I'm glad you brought up Vucevic, right? Because Vucevic, um, he's been fine on the Bulls, but he's clearly not the engine behind their success, right? Um, and he's interesting because he was a much more dominant player than Sabonis. Um, also not good defensively, but you know his passing was solid and he could do a lot of different things offensively. And that's like the best case version for Sabonis in, in a lot of ways. So I look in my mind, Kings fans like to think, okay, could this be our Chris Weber? You know, you get a guy who the fans are, you know, upset that Mitch Richmond, you know, when he left, that was a fan favorite, upset. Chris Weber comes in. We don't know how he's going to fit passing big man and unlocks a completely new offense for this team. That would require a lot of things to happen for Sabonis to be that offensive. We need, Fox to play like a guard who can actually orchestrate that kind of offense. 
which we're clearly committing to Fox in the long run. We need a coach who can build a scheme around that kind of an offense. And we need all the supporting role players and shooters. And so you're asking us to come, you're asking Fox to play a different game, our roster to be completely made up, and then our coach to also fit all to accommodate Sabonis. I think there just needs to be more that happens. Whereas when you take a guy like Tyrese, I he's think more malleable. He's more malleable and you can figure the rest out. Like you go into this offseason with a bad pick. That's another asset. You might get a top five pick or you take someone. I don't know, man. This just it's just this never ending hamster wheel of of short term win now moves. And and you know, look, Monty McNair came from the Maury tree, and Kings fans like to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not sure if we can blame Monty or if Vivek has kind of the clamps put on Monty. Like he sees the Pelicans make that trade and he's like, yo, we need to get it go for that play in spot ASAP. It's just dysfunctional all around. Um, I, I certainly think Vivek has got a thumb on the situation way closer than you'd like for any owner, much less an incompetent one. Uh, me and you know more about basketball than I think he does. Um, despite us all being Indian, I think it's a one, two, three power rankings, and he's third. Um, the problem is, like you said, you're locking yourself into a team that still needs a lot of work around it, right? This isn't the team that's going to win. Can now Rashawn Holmes play with uh, Sabonis? And this is a guy you kind of like in Sacramento. And suddenly we're going to run into the same problem with uh, that you had with Miles Turner, except it's even worse because, uh, you know, he can't shoot the way Miles Turner can. So that's going to be even worse of a fit. That's one issue. Second issue is, you know, what's going to happen this year? Like, okay, you could maybe make a push for 10th. If you don't, you're still stuck in that, like, 7th, 7 to 14th pick purgatory of where you keep not being able to get guys of good value. Like this was the one pick they hit on in all of these years. They missed on Luca. You know, they missed on ending up Clay Thompson. They missed on, you know, you know the list. I'm forgetting all of these names off of my head, but like this is the one guy that if you went back and did a redraft, he would go way higher than where he was picked, which is 12th. And that is not common by any stretch for, um, for Lakers picks, or sorry, Kings picks. Sorry, I'm watching the Lakers get boat raced. Um, and so that's the thing that I think is most troubling, which is, okay, so now what? Now we're going to go back and we're trying to be this team that isn't ready to compete, but isn't ready to, or isn't built to blow it up and have that top pick, pick and add like a Paolo Benchero or whoever. So I, um, it's, it's the hamster wheel. It really is the hamster wheel. And, this isn't on Monty McNair, in my opinion. This is on Vivek being like, if we have a chance to get a two-time All-Star, I can sell that to my fans more than another young prospect. Yeah, but it seems like they don't have the pulse of the org because if, if it really is about selling to the fans and getting tickets, look, winning cures all. If this ends up working out, no King fan's going to complain, right? We all want it to work out. But you're you're selling your franchise like the guy who the fans adore, who love. They've been selling Halliburton jerseys left and right. Like that's the guy you're going to give up when he's 21 years old. And and you've seen all the stats, all the advanced stats. He's an analytics darling. He's um he's recognized across the league as a valuable trade asset or a valuable asset. Yeah. And and the other problem with Sabonis, right? Like, you know, normally you'd look at Sabonis and be like, "Okay, but this guy, you put him at the 5." That's going to unlock everything for an offense, right? Make him kind of that five 
a little bit undersized center. He played a lot of minutes at the five last year when Turner was out, and they they were horrible. Mm-hmm. Like defensively, they were a train wreck. And so all those non-Turner Sabonis at the five minutes don't work. He's locked in at the four. Like there needs to be a very specific way you build around him. And, and that's my biggest problem. Like this isn't some unicorn, some jack, uh, you know, um, jack of trades kind of player that we can just move around. He's a good skilled player, very good at the couple of things he does. And that's it. And yeah. I just don't see that taking us anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the best case scenario is uh, is really if it's kind of – you go back to the Vucevic thing where you had Levine and you had Vucevic. You make the trade and it doesn't work. Remember last year how bad Chicago looked and they were like, holy shit, they just traded two first-round picks. They gave up what ended up becoming Franz Wagner, right? Um, and they're like, what is Chicago doing? They're trying to fill this gap of mediocrity without like a real reason to do it. And then you look at it and one step leads to the other. Not all these players were acquired at the same time, right? You go sign and trade for DeRozan. You go sign Caruso. You hit on uh, Ayo Desunmu, which who, who we've been talking about for weeks now, right? Uh, you go hit on a guy like Javante Green. And like, there's a path. And as much as Chicago, as you know, is a better free agent destination than Sacramento, it's not really like they got anyone so marquee that all these other teams were lining up. They got clowned for the DeRozan extension, right? Um, They got clowned a lot. Like Lonzo, yes, he was a guy in high demand, but even Caruso, the Lakers let him go. They said, all right, we'll see you later. We're keeping THT. So. These are these are moves that can be made that are not going and signing like okay I'm gonna go get Bradley Beal in the offseason that type of thing so that's the hope now the downside of course is Levine is a much better player than where Fox is right now and so Levine is a very critical part of this Bulls engine and that's to your point Fox has to become a different player than he is right now like one of the things that made Tyrese so good is even though he wasn't a great ISO scorer or wasn't a great creator like elite creator. He's still 41% from three. So you back off on him, he's going to knock it down and make you pay. And that is an underrated part of his game. Like you think about the herky-jerky, the passing, the vision, the you know the fluidity without being a great athlete. He was a great shooter. And so that's like step one really in today's NBA. And that's something Fox has regressed on. And we don't really know what the sort of true true skill set is for him in that space. And Fox has not been a good pick and roll player. Um, so if you're even talking about a two-man game, like Fox is good going off the pick and getting to the rim, but in terms of letting the big man roll and then hitting him, like Tyrese and Rashawn Holmes had that game down pat, and Fox struggled to do that with Holmes. And Holmes is the perfect roll man. He knows how to you know screen and roll perfectly, get to the rim. Fox could not get that to work, so I don't even see that. Like you can't even convince me that oh Fox Sabonis two-man game. Fox has the speed. He can use the screen dump it off to Savonis. Like, I can't even picture that working. So I, I don't, it's not like this is some great chemistry fit. This is Monty McNair going for a two-time all-star talent, a, a very good talent in Savonis at a position of need, right? We, we need bigs. But I just think that, you know, giving up on, and, and part of the calculation, I think, is that Davion Mitchell has been pretty good these last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I have a feeling that's what made it easier for Monty to pull the trigger because it's like, you can talk yourself into building around Fox and Mitchell as your guards for the future with Sabonis as opposed to 
Fox, Mitchell, and Hallie and not having anyone fill in that gap. This is where the Mitchell pick really hurts. And you go back to what you were saying, which is like, okay, we're, we're going to draft, what, a four-year starter who's still very unpolished offensively? Like, where is that going from a development standpoint, right? Like, yeah. to be in the top 10 and be drafting a specialist, which is what it felt like, is a tough sell because this is why high potential guys go higher and role players grow later. Like we took Kispert at 15, very much a specialist. Even that felt a little high where you're like, man, we should have gone after Sangoon or we should have gone after Zaire Williams maybe or some of these guys with higher potential. Like Kispert will be fine, but he's never going to be more than certain thing. And like with Davion Mitchell, you wonder, it's like, okay, is his best, best case scenario like Marcus Smart maybe? Um, who knows, but smart's also a more gifted passer, I think, than what we've seen from Mitchell so far. And and like, you go back and look at the draft, it's way too early. So I understand I'm not trying to make an assertion yet, but you go back and look at the draft and you're like, okay, who would you have taken? I'm not sure there's necessarily a clear answer. I think it's more, uh, I think it's more like, you know, what's actually, the guy who would have been a good fit with this new version of the team. So yeah. maybe that's a Chris Duarte. Maybe that's a Moses Moody. I don't know. You take so, a, you take a pro I'd rather take a project like Moody um, or Sangoon or Sangoon. Yeah. Why not? Right. At that, at nine, you're not ninth is not getting you a starter on average. That has been a bench player or yeah. a key rotation guy. Um, Mitchell, the problem, my problem was his age. I mean, this guy's probably turning, I think he's like turning 30 next month, maybe. Uh, this dude's old. Yeah, he's old and healed was old rookie. And like, you kind of already got guys who were tapped out for what their potential was. So, But, but you see the, the thing, thing, win now, always going after win now players when you're not in that position. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, the irony is the one time you didn't do that is when you took Bagley over Luca, and Luca was a win now player who also happened to be eighteen. That's the most bizarre. No, no, that's not true. They took Bagley as a win now move because they thought Luca and Fox skill sets would be redundant, and so in their mind or in Vladi's mind, win now was get someone that fits into the lineup cleanly. Now you have a star at point guard, you have a star at star big. That was the idea. This is really a troubling trade, but like this is the, you know, I texted you this earlier today, but like you miss on a pick like Bagley with Luca and Trey sitting there. It's a generational mistake. And I know you know this, but you almost have to wipe out this era of Kings basketball and just wait for the next one. Um, What's the the next era? (laughs) Like when these guys cycle out, you get to tank again and go back for it. Like, dude, that's the only. That's the only way that like, cause you'll, the only other thing I could say is if, if, for example, you tanked, got the number one pick, got another franchise guy. But if we think of Luke, like to me, there's like a few guys who were de facto superstars the moment they walked in the league. And that's like the LeBrons, Durant's, Anthony Davis, Luca. I don't know how many more people I'd put in that category. Then there's the guys who became superstars but were not projected to be. The Kawhi Leonard's, the Jimmy Butler's, even Steph Curry, I would say I'd put him in that category because nobody thought he'd be this good. Giannis, of course. And so then it's like, okay, guys slip because injuries like Joel Embiid. You have to get lucky one way or another. 
and that was your chance and to blow it maybe it comes back again and but you're not Cleveland right Cleveland gets the number one pick every other year like other than that like everyone else is just trying to scrape it around it's it's like the Wizards right they had four year stretch picked one six three and three missed two of those four picks and the team was good because they did hit two but they weren't great because they missed two and you kind of have to get them all especially when you're those kinds of teams that don't have a ton of free agents lining up at the door or people requesting trades to that situation. Look, I agree. It's a, that kind of generational mistake you can't afford to make. Like it's going to cripple you. That being said, Kings fans and the Kings expectations are so low. Putting together a team to get into the eighth seed, even in the West should not be so hard over the course of how many years have we been trying? 15, 15 years. Yeah. Like, that's the part that's hard, right? Like we're not even one of these teams that hasn't hit on a star and is mired in that six, seven spot and is complaining about, you know, never really just early round exits every year. Like the wizards, as bad as the wizards are as horribly managed as they were, you can still squeeze into the playoffs every now and then still do something. I know it doesn't mean anything, but that's all the Kings fans want. Yeah. I mean, those are some of my most fun memories, right? Like, yeah, even the Celtics series that I was, you go, you always clown me for. I mean, that's still like one of my favorite memories as a Wizards fan and like winning, beating the Bulls with, with, with first team all NBA Joakim Noah there. And we just punked him like that was fun. Uh, but Sabonis, man, I think I texted you. He was drafted by Orlando. Traded to Oklahoma City, traded to Indiana, now traded to Sacramento. This dude's been in the four most boring cities in all of the NBA. Like, someone get him to Miami, get him to New York, like L.A. You know, they might have to start a new Vegas franchise just to allow DeMontis Sabonis to be their inaugural player, just to give him a little bit of happiness, light at the end of the tunnel of, I don't know what the nightlife he's he's been enjoying uh, thus far is. Apparently, his wife talked about how they really wanted to move to California or she would love to be in California. Uh, I don't know if she was picturing Sacramento or, you know, she's probably thinking, yeah, well, of I was the thinking more Malibu, teams, but, but yeah, Sacramento, I guess, also works. Well, this also takes Ben Simmons off the table. Um, you know, there was some uh, posturing. I think with all the smoke going on with James Harden, I would be shocked if. Maurice decided now was the time to settle for a Fox Plus package. I agree. It it does look like it's heading that way to Harden, even if it doesn't happen at this trade deadline. But Fox, Barnes, Bagley even, throw him in there. He's worth nothing. A pick. We take back Tobias's contract. We take Simmons. It's not bad. I mean, with the way Embiid's playing, I think you got to do something if you're Philly because they have a real title chance. Like you saw a game like tonight where Embiid was good. He wasn't great. They play an extremely well-rounded Phoenix team that's firing on all cylinders. And Phoenix just played last night in Chicago. They come back from 8 or 10 down and take the lead and end up winning. Um, so not that those complimented players would have affected tonight's game in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, which is maybe a reason not to do the trade, but... Nonetheless, I think if they can figure out a way to like get Harden in this year, I would be surprised. Um, I'm at the point where I'm almost expecting it to happen. I, I I think everyone is. It's just a question of when. Like it'd be crazy if it happens on Thursday, but I also, if gun to my head, I say it's not going to happen. I think it's going to happen at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean Brooklyn's got its own just catastrophe of issues, like. 
they've lost, I think, eight or nine straight, fallen from the two seed or one seed down to all of the seventh or eighth. Durant's nowhere to be found. I mean, he's in his midseason hiatus. Kyrie is, as of now, only eligible for nine of the remaining 26 or 10 of the remaining 28 games uh, because of the vaccine mandate in New York. Now, there is a rumor that they're considering lifting it. Um, so maybe we do end up seeing him every night uh, shortly. But for now, he's he's only going to be able to play a third of the games. And we got Harden pouting, fat, and hurting. So I don't know what to do if you're Brooklyn. I cannot believe it. I can't really even believe it fell apart this quickly. We're somehow heading to a Phoenix-Milwaukee rematch when we thought last year was the kind of anomaly year. Right yeah. now, that's probably the odds-on favorite, right, for a final matchup? Sure. For sure. I mean... You know, Miami's right there. Miami looks really good now that they've gotten Bam back. They got Kyle Lowry back. They're kicking everyone's ass. Golden State's still not going away. I mean, they don't even have Draymond yet, and they've, they've ripped off a number of wins. Clay's starting to return to form. So, And look, we Memphis isn't ready for the moment. I know that, but Memphis they are doing anything. putting their foot on people's throat. Um, and you know they're not afraid of the moment. I don't think it'll be too big for them. They may just not have enough top-end talent, but they're right there too. So I think it's going to be fun. And I t- I, my prediction in the in the start of the season was Dallas coming out of the West, I think, or at least being in the conference finals. I can't remember. That looked really, really dumb for like two months when Luka was like 25 pounds overweight. Now he is yeah, looking much rolling. Jalen Brunson's playing awesome, and maybe they have a deadline deal in them. The problem with Dallas is Tim Hardaway Jr. is out for the season. And they really need that skill set in the lineup. So we'll see. Yeah. So, all right. Enough about the Kings, man. I'm already depressed as it is. We'll, I know. I'm sorry. We, we took up all the time we wanted to have tonight just ranting about this deal. But, you know, a lot of other important deals. Let's start with the C.J. McCollum deal because I think that one was, was probably the next biggest name uh, to be moved. So Portland is pulling it all down. Maybe we just talk about this in conjunction with Norm Powell. So, Today, the Pelicans acquired McCollum um, and Larry Nance and Tony Snell in exchange for Josh Hart, Tomas Sadoransky, my boy from Virginia Tech, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, which I believe is a made-up name, and a 2022 first and two future seconds. So, I guess we'll just go quickly on this, but, you know, the... Nine-year run in, in Portland is over now between Dame and CJ. Um, it was successful. It probably peaked a little bit lower than what I think people's perceptions are. We know your feelings on the Blazers and on Dame. But that, nonetheless, I think all that considered, given the fact that neither of them were very heralded, both small schools, etc., I think it was a successful partnership, but time for it to go in different directions. Oh, absolutely. You look back at it as overall pretty successful. Um, you made a couple conference finals, right? There are very few teams that get to the finals anyway. I I think this was a move made a couple years too late. I think CJ McCollum, I don't mind the return they got for him, right? You got some nice pieces and uh, Josh Hart, um, Alexander Walker. You The the problem is I, I still think his value was a lot more a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and and the plan, according to this, the reports, is that the the plan is still to build around Dame. So if you have to grade this trade in conjunction with the other one, 
where they shipped out Norm Powell and and Covington, right, and got back essentially nothing. That and was then a look, disaster. And yeah. then you have to look at the treasure chest of assets and then figure out what can they do now to build around Dame. And I don't know if it's a if they've got that many options. So I think for Portland, this is just a classic case of this should have happened earlier. Um, it, I don't hate the the return, but it's it's a little bit underwhelming. And so let's start there with Portland. What are your thoughts on at least the Portland side of things before we go into the Pelicans? Yeah, I mean, I like Josh Hart more than most. He's a good player on a role t- on a winning team. That may not be the situation in Portland, so I think his value is going to be lower or perceived to be lower than it actually is if he was in a good situation. CJ at thirty million at thirty one years old versus you know what's going on here. That's the piece that I think is less. Uh, less exciting but if you're new orleans you're looking at it like okay we're actually starting to play well we were one and 12 now we've been 500 we're getting zion back we're starting to build a good team so let's put them to the side for a second portland's interesting like the fact that they said that they were going to retool around dame so on one hand they do have i think they're going to be able to open up max cap space right so there is a world in which they can sign a prize free agent. Now, who is that going to be? Yeah, that's I have no the, idea. That's the yeah, question. Like who the hell is going there? Maybe it's Bradley Beal, right? Because he's someone who's close with Dame. and But, you know, Beal and Dame would be like literally the carbon copy of CJ and Dame. But yeah, just a slight upgrade, but it's the same concept. The other thing is stacking these assets. They still have guys like Simon and uh, Monsieur Little. They're able to hang on to them. They can actually, you know package those assets for a star who's under contract now is that's ben simmons who knows probably not but if there's other guys out there like even if that's a Dejounte murray um you know if there's other dudes that have been floated maybe those are candidates for him so so what wait what's that package look like you say like simons and little that, that's little, not getting you anything keon johnson um you know simons little keon johnson some of the first that they got um you have sal you have expiring salary in the form of Eric Bledsoe if you need it. Like there's some things that can be done. That's not getting or, shit. I agree, but you know, this is the delusion that I mean, if you think about it, you you're never gonna get a player as good as Dame. So I do understand our sentiment is like, fuck it, move on. Whereas theirs is like this is literally like maybe the top three player in our whole entire franchise. You want us to just like kick him to the curb when he doesn't even want to go anywhere? Like, no thanks. Um, so they're doing their best to like live out as much of the usefulness of his career as they can. I no, I agree with the approach. I, I actually don't mind them building around Dame, right? Like I've said, I said this so many times, like blow it all up around Dame and completely retool. Not these moves around the edges or, you know, just getting a Covington or someone like rebuild the nucleus. I, I just don't know how they're going to do it at this point. Yeah. Um, with what they've got. Now, that being said, it's always hard to, to just completely get a second star or a third star. Like you said, it's not just going to be easy to swap McCullum for another one of those guys. I just think it's going to be a little bit harder. Now, for New Orleans, I actually, I love this for New Orleans. And, you know, some people might think, oh, you're giving up hard, McCollum's old, this and that. Dude, the same people are saying, oh, Zion's going to leave. There's no reason for him to stay. If you're New Orleans, you have to, put all the chips in the Zion pot and yeah, go you all to. in to make a team that's ready to win. Like that That's your only option. And so this is a clearly win-now move. Let's build around Ingram, McCollum, um, 
Zion, you know, and they've got a couple other pieces. I like it. I was down on this trade for New Orleans, and then I heard like Larry Nance was also involved, and not that that should really make the biggest difference. But for some reason, I just went from liking it or not liking it all to liking it. Yep. And I think the reason is because I don't think CJ in his own is going to somehow fix their defense or fix some of their problems, but he is going to give him a scoring wing. And when Zion comes back, he's a great off-ball player, to, especially like they were starting to run that point Zion stuff at the end. So there's a lot to like about what that offense could look like. And I think Nance with Herb Jones, with Valanchunas, hopefully fortify the defense a little bit. But look, man, we got to see this dude play basketball. Like we're now approaching what? 60 games in the season and he was supposed to be ready opening night like I feel like the Zion updates have gotten sparser and they've become less clear about exactly what's happening this move makes me think maybe he's coming back this season but maybe it just means they're ready for next season they wanted to get him while they could so I'm not sure where they stand on that front I I have a feeling it's for next season Um, although I don't know maybe it's this I think it's both a little bit right it's because they have been playing so well they're like, hey, look, let's make this move now. We can actually start to build something, get this this kind of core working together, maybe get into the play-in this year. If not, sets us up well for next year when Zion comes back. I ha- I doubt Zion will come back this year. Just with how quiet they've been on his injury front, I have a feeling this is going to be him out for the season. Like, we haven't yeah. heard anything, like you said. Like, it's not going to no, be like all of a sudden one day he's back at practice. New Orleans is playing well, though. Brandon Ingram, I think, has really picked it up in a way that we hadn't seen from him previously in in the sense of playing winning basketball. And I think, look, they are struggling because of that tough start. But if you look at it, like I said, they've been 500 teams since they were 1-12. And And so they're going to have a real chance at the play-in and are likely in contention, especially now with Portland in midst of a fire sale. Uh, It's really going to be between them, San Antonio, and Sacramento. Um, for making that final spot behind what I guess the Lakers, the Clippers, and um, the Timberwolves are, are, are pretty far ahead of those yep. rest of those mm-hmm. teams. Um, yeah, right now it's Timberwolves, Clippers, Lakers, and then Pelicans in the 10th spot yeah. with Den- uh, Portland nipping at their heels. So, Speaking of Clippers, the Norm Powell-Covington trade, just a home run. Um, didn't have to give up much of anything. Keon Johnson was a their first-round pick last year, but, you know, there's nothing like he's untouchable by any measure. They have other young guys that they can build around. And I can't even, this is where you get to a point where you're just like, I wish my owner had the kind of money Steve Ballmer had to just throw <laughs> yeah. around and not give a shit. Um, you know, he's got Paul George and Kawhi on max deals. He's got Kennard and Morris making 16, 17 million. They just paid Reggie Jackson. They got all this. Norm Powell just signed a four for 90 extension last summer. And now he's already until i mean their luxury tax bill is going to be out of control but whenever they are fully healthy he's doing everything he can to give them a chance to win the title now they may not maybe their chance was last year truthfully with with the lakers falling apart and injuries in the east and if they just had healthy Kawhi, maybe they beat phoenix right but we'll never know i think the point is they're still going for it as long as those two guys are under contract which you know for them is another three years and i think that's it shows their commitment to winning. We'll see if it actually works out. But I thought as far as the rationale for this individual trade, it's a no-brainer. I love it. I mean, I'm calling it right now. They're going to be favorites to come out of the West next year, I think, clearly. Um, 
we don't know what the offseason is going to look like, but given the state of the West, given that it's and this Clippers team is very well coached, clearly without George, without Kawhi, they're, you know, they play hard. They're a good team. Yeah. They're getting contributions across the roster. And now to add these pieces that only bolster that and, and pieces that are versatile and on the wings, like this is a team that's, yeah, man, like the Clippers, it's all about next year for them, right? Like, I don't believe anything about Kawhi maybe coming back this year. Like, they shouldn't even care about that. Yeah. It's all eyes on next year, and I think they will be the title favorites out of the West. So, yeah, I, I mean, we need deal. to see what Kawhi looks like post-ACL. We need to see what... Uh, these guys all come back fine after these injuries, man. I don't even, I don't even care about Spencer that. Spencer Dinwiddie about coming back fine. He looks like he's stuck in actual mud on the court. Yeah, but Dinwiddie's different, right? Durant, all the the studs come back from an ACL. You'll see Chris Godwin next year. It'll all be fine. <laughs> How about Chase Young? How about is he going to come back okay? <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I agree. I think this is the right move for them, and we'll see if it actually turns into a title at some point because that is the ultimate goal. If it doesn't, you know, I won't be surprised, but it won't be for lack of trying, which I think is all you can really do. The more Daryl Morey always says this, right? You have to give yourself higher than I think a 5% chance to win the title. And after that, you know, it's all chance. It's all luck, but you at least have to be in that conversation. I think they are doing what they can to, to do that. Absolutely. Um, all right. That concludes. Oh, we didn't talk Karis LeVert. Maybe we'll cover that on Thursday in case there's not any other big dr- trades. We can include that in our, uh, in our conversation, Karis LeVert to Cleveland uh, to fill a big gap in a lack of a scoring wing. Um, but we'll cover that on Thursday we'll, along we'll with get any to other deals. I, I want you to talk about the latest news with Bradley Beal and what your yes. Washington Wizards are going to do. I purposely decided not to tonight because I want to see if they've come to their senses by then okay. and actually going to blow this up like they should, or we're just going to continue the charade for yet another season uh, to all of our misery. I'm going to put a question out there for you. Think about it for a couple of days. Is there any franchise player that's hated more than the Wizards fans hate Bradley Beal? <laughs> think about that. Um, if you have a candidate right now, you can let me know. But otherwise, just keep that in mind and we'll cover that mid-rant um, in a couple of days. All right. Sounds good. We'll see you for part two.